0: Get you thinking here this morning. Uh, As you were getting ready to come to church this morning, um, wonder what your thought process was about, what you were looking forward to the very most in getting together, gathering together as a body of believers here at McGregor. Uh, You know, there are a lot of reasons why people come to church, right? So let's assume that your reason for coming this morning was very noble, Uh, and there are several noble reasons, right? Like uh, Ryan uh, and the band introduced a new song, and they sent out on an email this week that they were gonna do so, and you could listen to it. Uh, it Did a great job, by the way. Uh, So maybe you were looking forward to worship. Maybe you're looking forward to the new song. Uh, Maybe you were looking forward to sing along with it. Uh, Maybe you're looking forward to hearing the word preached. You know, I know that you know that's that's definitely what propels a lot of people coming to worship. Is they want to study the Word of God together. Uh, Maybe for some of you, it's I'm looking forward to going to my life group at 11 o'clock. You know, I can't wait to get there, study God's Word. We have some amazing life group teachers uh, that teach God's Word faithfully every week, and you're excited about that environment. But you know, just studying God's Word is what draws you together. Uh, So, a lot of different reasons for you to be here this morning. But I dare say that, as Nathan alluded to uh, this morning, when you woke up and you were getting ready, uh, one of the reasons that you were coming this morning wasn't because you were going to hear a sermon on giving. Uh, It's probably not something that we look forward to the most. As a matter of fact, a lot of people will avoid coming to church on Sundays when the sermon is on Giving, right? I mean, that's just kind of the reality of where we are. Well, we exegetically go through scripture, and this morning we have found ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And chapters 8 and 9 are some of the hallmark uh, passages of scripture on this discipline of giving. So, for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about giving. It's not a stewardship series, it is as we work through the text of God together. But if you, if you look at Acts 20, verse 35, uh, Paul says this, in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is blessed to give, more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed to give than to receive. It's kind of a concept that we have a hard time. God's economy is not man's economy, right? And we don't understand that idea very very well that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, leading mission trips for many years, uh, I would ask young people, uh, students, college, young adults uh, to raise money, give of their own money, to take time off of work, to go to serve in a foreign country and give of themselves work from sunup to sundown in many situations uh, and exhaust themselves, only to come to the end of the week and we do our review. They're like, I can't believe how blessed I am. You know, in giving, they got, they receive. there's blessing in giving. And that's God's economy that to give away, to give ourselves, that we get so much more in return. Well, this morning we're going to look at the Macedonian way of giving. How these Macedonians in northern Greece, uh, churches that were planted by Paul during his second missionary journey of Berea, uh, Philippi, and Thessalonica, you know, how these churches were assisting the saints in Jerusalem who were really going through a difficult time. These saints in Jerusalem were poor, they were being um, persecuted for their faith because they turned to Jesus as their Savior. And so the Macedonian churches are partnering with these Jewish Christians that they didn't even know financially helping support them. So if you turn to 2 Corinthians 8, we're gonna look at verses one through nine this morning. Um, a A couple of thoughts. Remember that Paul is challenging these or using the Macedonians as an example of giving What were they giving to? They were giving to the relief of those that were struggling in Jerusalem. So while the New Testament and the Old Testament both talk a lot about the stewardship of our resources as followers of Christ, here there's an example of this giving is to a specific cause, to those that have a specific need. And also notice that these Macedonians these Macedonians in these three churches specifically, uh, they are not though uh, well off themselves. It's not that they are giving out of their wealth, but they also were suffering persecution, losing their jobs because of their faith in Christ, and yet Paul uses the church at Macedonia as an example, the churches in Macedonia, as an example of what it's like to give. So I've broken our passage this morning down into three sections. First is the example of the Macedonians, the example of the Macedonians, the challenge to the Corinthians, and the ultimate example of Jesus himself. So let's look at verses one through five. but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God. You know, Paul starts off that, that, that section is, we want you to know brothers. You know, it's kind of a nice, endearing term. You know, you know, he's starting off right. He's bringing them in. Hey brothers, this is what we're doing. Oftentimes when we start our letters, whether it's a text or an email or a physical letter, you know, we want to start in a good way. And Paul certainly does that. It says brothers is a term of affection, a term of endearment, you know, we're in this together. And remember where we've been in the past few weeks, we've talked about these Corinthians being restored and this restoration of a relationship. But it, say, it says in verse one, we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the Macedonian giving was because of the grace of God. We can give for a whole lot of different reasons, but Macedonians were giving because they'd experienced God's grace and out of the abundance of God's grace, they gave. People can give for a lot of different reasons. But Paul identifies the hallmark reason for giving is because once one has truly understand the, understood the grace of God, they can't help but give back. Grace, God's grace, God's unfathomable grace bestowed upon us, that unmerited favor that there's nothing that we have done to earn it and yet God gives it to us, results in us wanting to be givers ourselves. When we truly embrace how gracious God is to us, it calls us to be gracious givers. Note the primary reason, the primary motive of the generosity of of these churches in Macedonia was not out of obligation, but it was out of their love for God that they gave. The second thing I see is they gave in spite of their circumstances. Paul says, we're in a severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Affliction, these Macedonians were living under the affliction as well. They were being persecuted, losing their jobs, their place of employment, their businesses. They were being afflicted, which caused them to be poor. They were living in poverty the word that paul uses there extreme poverty it's as one as a beggar it's that kind of nature of one that is living under extreme poverty in their life in the sense of begging and yet they gave See, giving for so many believers is so circumstantial you know they look at their list of needs their list of wants and then oh if there's anything left of my time, my attention, my talents, my resources, my finances, then I give. But these Macedonians gave regardless, in spite of their circumstances, they were givers. And remember, they gave because they understood the grace of a living God in their life. To give like a Macedonian then is to give regardless of our circumstances. And then we see they gave joyfully. They gave joyfully. We're gonna to get to this in the next couple of weeks, but 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, "'Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, "'not reluctantly or under compulsion, "'but for God loves a cheerful giver.'" You know, God wants our, our giving to be joyful. You know, he wants us to give back cheerfully, not out of compulsion. Literally, the word here is abundance. It means that surplus. You know, they made joy of robbing themselves so they could give to others. It's crazy. Last night, obviously this wasn't planned until this morning, but, but last night we had our, uh, two of our grandkids spent the night with uh, Vicki and I, and we took them to Culver's for dinner last night. Now, as grandparents, we don't go to Culver's. I know some people love Culver's. so nothing bad about Culver's. But we don't go to Culver's because of the hamburgers or the chicken tenders. We go to Culver's because of the ice cream, right? Especially if you have a, an eight and a six-year-old. You go to Culver's because of the ice cream. Thank you very much for participation there. Yeah. So we go for ice cream. So we eat, the kids do really well. They eat well. So we go up and we get two of those. I think they're called mixers. uh, And we get Butterfinger in both of them. And so I'm splitting them amongst uh, the four of us. And my granddaughter, who's eight, she says, she calls me pops. She goes, pops, I like the big pieces. (laughs) Well, guess what? So do I. But guess who got the big pieces? She got those big pieces. And you know what she got them? Joyfully, cheerfully, I gave. You know why? Because when you love someone, you want to give to them, don't you? Every parent in this room understands that. We're willing and have been willing for years to sacrifice of ourselves to give to those that we love. And it's most clearly played out in our families to give like a Macedonian is to give cheerfully, to give cheerfully in spite of our circumstances. And then they gave generously. Says in verse two, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. This wealth of generosity. And it's not, remember the Macedonians were poor and afflicted. So when Paul says that they gave in a wealth of generosity, it wasn't about an amount. It was not about the amount, but it was about the heart that they gave with. That wealth of generosity has that idea of the opposite of duplicity. It's a single-mindedness. They came to the table ready to give. They were going to partner with the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. They were singularly minded about helping those that were struggling. Years ago, I had a mentor of mine that worked at our young adult ministry back in the day, and he had a stash of cash in his wallet that he put aside for special needs, things that would, people would come alongside. And I saw him on several occasions reach into his wallet and pull out a, a, a cash, $50 bill or whatever, and give to someone. And it wasn't just here at McGregor, he would just do that in his life. He was prepared to give. It's that singular minded focus of being prepared to give, that's the wealth of generosity. It's that mindset, it's the heart to give. You and I oftentimes, if we're truthful, at least for me, you know, when we see a need in front of us, we try to talk ourselves out of giving, don't we? You know, we we use excuses. Well, let me pray about that. You know, we find excuses not to give. Well, these Macedonians, it's the wealth of generosity. It's singular focus where there's a need. I'm going to meet the need. That's the wealth of generosity. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. To look to others above yourself these Macedonians were rich in single-mindedness. Years ago, uh, I was just talking to Ryan earlier and a long time ago, because this bottle is gonna reveal how, it is many, many years ago, um, my wife and I and a team of students from McGregor were um, traveling to Guatemala on a mission trip. And the missionary at the time asked if uh, my wife and I wanted to go into the squatter village. I think that that was the first time I'd ever been in a squatter village. And if you are unfamiliar with squatter villages, uh, they're land, usually government owned land where people have start- started squatting on the land. They started building little shanties uh, and that's where they live. And so they, these little villages can pop up all over, usually government owned land. And so I said, of course, I'd love to go uh, visit this lady and her kids in this squatter village. So we go in, uh, I, like I said, I've never been there. Um, so it's all dirt. There's no, there's no pavement uh, and there's streams of sewage running through the village. Uh, and we walk into this, you, you don't knock on a door because there is no door. Uh, you just holler. Uh, And you walk into this little home that's made of mostly of cardboard, maybe a little bit of tin, and this mom is in there, maybe eight by eight, and she has a few children. And the missionary, we start talking um, to her through the missionary using the translator, and all of a sudden the kids go running out. I didn't know where they had went, you know. But they come back in just a couple of minutes, and they come back with a, this bottle. Obviously, it was full. And next thing I know, the mom has reached down and she has a couple glasses, a couple cups, and she's poured this orange crush into these cups, and she is handing them now to my wife and I and the missionary. This woman was living on dirt in a home that was made of cardboard and tin, no indoor plumbing, no electricity, and she gave to us. We had so much to give to her, but her decision was to give to us. See, it doesn't matter how much you have, it's the heart. This woman gave out of her. She was a generous giver, wasn't she? And it wasn't in the amount because it was small, small amount, but she was a generous giver. And then we see the Macedonians, they gave eagerly, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Don't raise your hands. Question though, how many of us have ever begged to give? I mean, begged to be a part of something. Begged to be a part of something. That's the word that Paul uses here. They were begging to be a part of the giving for the relief of the saints in Jerusalem, a people that they had never met. And yet they were in a very similar situation that those in Jerusalem were in, but they wanted to give. They wanted to be a part of what God was doing. That's the way to give like a Macedonian is to give eagerly, to anticipate the ability to give. And then they gave out of their out of their devotion. Verse five, and this, not as we have expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. For me, this was the verse, uh, as I was studying this passage over the past couple of weeks, this was the verse that kept jumping out at me over and over again. Is because I think without this devotion to the Lord, the, the rest of it falls apart. You know, they had to be devoted to God, devoted to the work of God in order for, them to give sacrificially, regardless of their circumstances. Mark 12, 30, 30 and 31 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second commandment is like it, that you shall love your neighbors as yourself. These Macedonians had caught on that, you know, when you fall in love with Jesus and what he has done for you, and you're devoted to Him, then you are devoted to the causes of Christ as well. See, people can give and people do give. People can give and not love. But people can't love Jesus and not give. The two just are not compatible. You can't fall in love with Jesus and not understand the call on your life to be a giver here in this world. If your heart has been gripped by the Lord, then you will respond through giving. So. Paul's highlighted some of the examples of the Macedonians and, and then he challenges the Corinthians, right? He has highlighted what the Macedonians are doing and now he says to, in verse six, accordingly, accordingly. So like the Macedonians, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace, the grace of giving. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in the act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by your earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So a couple things here. Finish what you start. Paul is telling the Corinthians, you started a year or so ago, you started giving to the cause in Jerusalem you kind of stopped. Maybe it was because of some of the, the problems, the challenges that were going on, but you started good, now finish well. We're oftentimes you know, good at starting things. Now, I'm reminded of uh, weight loss journeys for so many people, right? Come Jan- we're, we're coming toward the end of this year already, right? The last quarter. You know what January is, right? Is that time where we make all those new resolutions to lose weight? To get healthy, exercise more, right? You with me? But statistically, I've read that usually those weight loss goals or health goals that happen January 1 usually last between two and three weeks. And then we're right back to where we started. Yeah, we can start good, we can start well. But Paul's telling the church at Corinth, finish what you started. You started in a right mindset, now finish it. we are people often have good intentions, but good intentions don't make a difference in this world. Givers make a difference in this world. And then the second thing there under that point is excel in giving but as you excel in everything. And what Paul does is he highlights a lot of disciplines of the faith, right? Faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, love for you. you know, you've, you've done all these things. And some commentator, commentators that I read said that, you know, maybe Paul was being sarcastic because they weren't really excelling in all these things, but others said, you know, seeing what God was doing in the Corinthians, maybe they were excelling. Maybe Paul was complimenting them for what God was doing in their life and that they were You know, really exercising some of these disciplines of the faith. But Paul says just as you do these other things well, excel in the grace of giving. Many of us in this room, as we have traveled, journeyed with our Lord, you know, we've been challenged at different times in our life to, you know, start or renew a quiet time or, you know, read the Bible more or pray more or to study God's word more or, Journal. You know, we can list a hallmark of things that God may have challenged us as we've walked with Christ over the years. And we think, you know, I need to do that more. But I wonder, I wonder how many of us have ever been challenged to be a grace giver more, to add that element of our lives to be a better giver in our life. And not just financially, but surely here it is a financial gift but to give ourselves whether it be time attention talents resources to give of ourselves in a way that reflects our love for Jesus and the grace that he's bestowed upon us see in our culture we're much more about holding on to things aren't we hoarding things for ourselves keeping things for ourselves than it is than we are about giving it away but paul challenges them to give and here's the reality is giving giving is a proof of our love. It's a proof of our sincerity. You know, most in this room, if I asked you, if I had that opportunity one-on-one to ask you if you love Jesus, you would say, yes, I love Jesus. Well, words are empty without action, right? Words are empty unless it's followed by behavior. You know, you can feel, you know, you come into this beautiful, you know, opportunity for us to worship together. And you're like, this is awesome. I feel something. But if you feel something and you do nothing with that feeling, then it's just a feeling. See, genuine love, genuine love is demonstrated by the way we live, the way we behave, how we handle our finances. Here in verse eight, giving is not a command you know paul understood that you know to command them to give was kind of like taxation he was making them do something that was not heartfelt and he wanted the heart he knew what well, we all know that until god grips our heart lives are not going to be changed but a life that has been gripped by the lord jesus and understood his grace our lives do change so paul was not speaking of a command and he also Giving this is a, a sign of is our sincerity, of our love. I've said this before. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Matthew six twenty one says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's your treasure? What are you holding on to tightly this morning or are you a generous giver? See, genuine love is ultimately shown by the way we live our lives. Our generosity to others shows our love for God. I can only imagine that Paul, as he's working through this uh, challenge to the Corinthians, you know, he started off with this great example of the Macedonians, and he goes to the challenge to the Corinthians, and he goes, But the greatest giver, The greatest giver is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So he reminds the Corinthians what they should already know. And that's what he says for in verse nine, for you know, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake, he became poor so that you in his poverty might become rich. Wow. We sang about this this morning, didn't we? The sacrifice of Christ that allows us to live in a restored relationship with him. So it says, Paul says, though he was rich, how was Jesus ever rich? You know, we oftentimes think about Jesus coming in the form of a, a baby, an infant. You know, he was born in a stable. You know, he was raised without a place to put his head. You know, we think of all those things that signify that Jesus was poor. He wasn't rich. But don't miss that Jesus always was. He was there from the beginning. He's a part of the Trinity. At the foundation of the world, Jesus existed. He is that eternality. Jesus always was. And when he always was with the Father and the Spirit, he was rich, abundantly rich, owned everything. And yet in his riches, He became poor. Wow. You know, there are people that have a tremendous amount of wealth that will give it away, but rarely, rarely does someone that is rich give their wealth away to the point that they become poor, right? But that's what Jesus did. He stepped out of heaven and his riches. He put on this tent, this earth suit to exist in the form of a man to die a horrendous, cruel death so that you and I might know the grace and the love of God. I was reading this uh, Forbes magazine article on some of the wealthiest Men, women in America, and how they have given billions of dollars to different charity organizations. But in this article that I was reading, it said that even after all the billions of dollars that they gave away, they ended up at the end of this time period, this, I think it was a year, they were ultimately wealthier at the end than they were at the beginning. So their wealth really didn't cost them anything. We look at them and say, man, how generous. You gave away a billion dollars. I don't think that's the description that Paul would use of the wealth of generosity. Not when you are not sacrificing. Philippians 2, 6 and 8 through 8 says who? Those in the very form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." So Jesus who is rich became poor. Why? So that you and I might become rich. So that you and I might become rich. And when Paul uses this term, he's not thinking in terms of monetarily, is he? You could be the richest person in this room. You could have the most amount of wealth of anyone in this room and yet be spiritually in poverty. And yet you could be the poorest person in this room. And if you know the grace of the living God, you are abounding in riches. That through his poverty, you and I might become rich. See for Paul, it was never about a monetary amount. It was about a heart. It's about a heart that is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, understanding the grace that is bestowed upon us because of Jesus willingly sacrificing himself for us, that we can be restored into a right relationship with God. And we become rich. And if you understand how rich you are, then you become a gracious giver. That's God's economy.